Are y'all ready to get into Ephesians? We're at Ephesians chapter 3. If you've been here for these past two weeks, we've, uh, we've worked our way through Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, and here we are at Ephesians 3. Praise God. How many of you remember what the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 was all about? What's the, what's the summary of that prayer? Be thinking about it. We're going to come to it here in a minute. Something about the eyes of my heart. Amen? Prayer for the eyes of your heart to be opened. And so that's my prayer for you tonight. That the eyes of your heart will be open to receive revelation knowledge. Amen? All right. Well, let's get started in uh, Ephesians 3. I hope you um, know my prayer for tonight is that you get something that you didn't know before. Here we go. Ephesians 3.1 says, For this reason... For what reason? Now, well, why would he start it off that way? And why would they put the beginning of a chapter right there? You know, the Bible wasn't written with all these chapters and numbers and, and verses and such. So it's a continuation of what was being said in, verse, in chapter 2, right? And so right before that, he was talking about the unity among believers. In particular, the Gentiles. That's what he was talking about right before he wrote for this reason, all right? So, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. So, let's stop there. Paul says he's a prisoner right there. Amen? That, right, right. So, let's talk about that for a minute. And remember, as we go through this, this is Wednesday Night Dive, where you guys have a voice. If there's something you want to add or something you want to uh, uh, speak to, go ahead and speak up, okay? That's this, this platform for this uh, study on Ephesians. We want to hear what you have to say. So, Paul says he's a prisoner. And, um, but he doesn't say, Paul, a prisoner of Rome. He said, Paul, I, Paul, a prisoner of of Jesus Christ, when someone says the word prisoner, that doesn't sound like a happy place, does it? It doesn't sound like he's, um, if you say I'm a prisoner, it kind of comes with the idea of some, you know, bad stuff attached to it. A prisoner. And uh, there were people, you know, even today that wonder, how, how in the world did Paul endure such hardship? The things that he went through. You know, you know lots of things about Paul, right? He went through some stuff. Again and again and again. And yet, here he is in prison, but he doesn't say, I, Paul, a prisoner of Rome. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus. Being a prisoner of Rome would have put him in a worldly position, right? He didn't think worldly ways. He didn't really care what the world had to say or do to him, right? He considered himself a prisoner of Jesus, and that's godly thinking. And so, you know, his example to us is, are we... Worldly thinkers or godly thinkers? 
Amen? He was willing to go through what he went through because he measured himself up against Jesus. Amen? I'm going to look at uh, Philippians 1.13 because I have a note right here that says, go look at it. Philippians 1.13. I'm going to turn over there real quick. It says, uh, and of course, Philippians, this is Paul writing a different letter, but he says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. The whole palace guard knew that Paul didn't care that he was in that prison or not in that prison. He was a prisoner of Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. I think he was proud to do it. Not proud like proud, proud. I mean, you know, badge of honor, yeah. He was, he was humbled to do it. And he knew it was for the sake of the gospel. That was the main thing. Amen? All right, verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration, my version says. Some versions say the stewardship. Some versions say the dispensation. Mine says administration. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. This is Paul talking. He's talking about, again, the revelation that's come to him. All right, And in the context of this verse, it has to do with the act of dispensing or giving out understanding of God's grace. That's what he's saying when he says administration, the giving out, the dispensing of God's grace is what he wants us to know. And so this new revelation, this new revelation was given to Paul for... Us. Do you think Paul had us in mind when he wrote this? I wonder if he knew that the revelation that he was receiving was for all eternity. Or at least all of this world's eternity. This earth's eternity. Amen? So he's received revelation and he is administering it to you, it says. Verse 3. That is... Now he's going to explain what this, this new revelation is. Okay? That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. There's that word mystery. I love that word mystery. How about you guys? The biblical mystery spoken of right here is something that is a secret or it's unknown until it is revealed. And it can only come from divine revelation. Amen? So this is not something that, that Paul just one day made up. Hmm, this sounds interesting. He had a revelation knowledge from the Spirit of God that was an instruction from Him to us. Amen? Let's look at Galatians. 
Alright, what's the difference when Jesus talked about it versus Paul saying it now? The Holy Spirit, when Jesus was here, the Holy Spirit had not come. The mystery, yes, in one way. But the mystery he's talking about is the grace of God that has been now extended to the Gentiles. And Jesus didn't really talk much about that. No, he didn't. It's a good point. Good point. Where was I going? Galatians 1, 11 and 12. Let's see what that says. Galatians 1, 11 and 12 says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel that I preached is not something that man made up. Didn't come from any man, right? I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So, of course, Jesus knew about this revelation when he was here. It came from him. Right? But the mystery wasn't unveiled until revelation came through the Spirit of God from Jesus so that all mankind could know. The first thing Jesus had to do was get people believing in Him. Right? Hallelujah. Alright, verse 4. We're back to Ephesians. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. There's that word mystery again. The revelation of this new idea about the Jews and the Gentiles united. The grace that's come from God to receive Jews and Gentiles alike. Remember, we've talked about in the other chapters, the amazing thing that has happened here is that Jesus has come and made a new, yes, a new covenant, but a, a whole new, like, identity. There's no longer Jews and Gentiles. There's believers, the church. There's no separation anymore, right? And this is a new idea because, you know, up until now and even ongoing in here in, the, the, in these um, epistles, Paul's trying to correct this problem that the Jews are still making the Gentiles keep the law. And you can be a Gentile, but you've also got to be a good Jew. You know, practice these Jewish laws, and we'll let you in our club. And what Paul's preaching here, the new revelation, this mystery is, there is no club anymore. Right? It's all one. We're believers. We are the church. Amen. Alright, verse 5. into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. All right. So Paul, he brings up a really good point right here. That this mystery was not revealed to generations before. 
Why wasn't this revealed in the Old Testament? Or why didn't Jesus just come right out and say it when he was on the earth? Why wasn't it revealed before? It's a good question. Paul brings it up right here. Where does revelation knowledge come from? Let's turn to Luke. We're going to do a little flipping around tonight. Are y'all good with that? You know, you should let the Word confirm the Word. Luke 2. Twenty-five. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Interesting. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon before the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was still there, working. And the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Well, look there. We're talking about revelation knowledge. Right? Where does revelation knowledge come from? It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before, the, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So that was a word of knowledge. He received a revelation word of knowledge. Y'all heard us talk about word of knowledge before, right? Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple court... When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon said it, Tim, way before Paul did. By revelation knowledge, right? Yes, they do. They come from, I'm going to tell you where they come from. 29. Genesis. Austin's got it. Genesis what? Genesis 15. Now we could do a lot of digging into just that verse and we're not even in Ephesians. Here we are way over in Luke. Amen? Revelation knowledge comes from the Holy Spirit who is everlasting, who was there from the beginning and will be to the end, which is forever and always. And revelation knowledge comes from him, not from some man, not from Paul just thinking up a good idea, right? And this idea that Paul has revelation about, it's 
It's just that it was the time for Paul to bring the revelation to the eyes of the people. All right? It's not something new that God made up and said, huh, you know, I think I better change things now that we've Jesus has, you know, died and rose again. And let me just change up a couple of things. No, this, this knowledge was there from the beginning, but it wasn't revealed. Amen? Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Just a man. Yeah. Exactly. How many people miss opportunities and miss things that could be revealed to them because they think less of themselves than they ought? The Bible says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. But to me that says you ought to think something about yourself. Right? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's turn, I have a couple of other ones we can turn. Let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 14.26. Let's see what it says there. 1 Corinthians 14.26. Talking about revelation knowledge. And this is really, you know, what Ephesians is about is in the, the first prayer was open the eyes of their hearts so they can see what belongs to them. But open the eyes of my heart is give me revelation knowledge. Amen? So 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone, everyone say everyone, Everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Revelation knowledge is one of the things that you can have to bring strength to this church. Amen? But look at the... I love the progression right here. It says everyone... Now that just, everyone to me means not one person should walk in that door ever for any service and come in here and say, I got nothing to give. I'm just here to watch. I, I just showed up just, I don't care if you're a visitor and you walk in here, you bring a supply. It says everyone, yes, as long as you're saved. Thank you for adding that. But look at this progression. Everyone has a hymn. Well, my goodness. I mean, everyone can sing unto the Lord. I 
don't really care if you have a bad voice, a good voice, or opera, or, you know, hip-hop, or whatever. Everyone has a hymn. Then it says, uh, or a word of instruction. Everybody can teach somebody something. But I love the progression. If you can't even sing a, a song to the Lord, you got no business uh, uh, teaching somebody else something. You got to get the singing to the Lord and praising His name part first. And if you get that done, then you can put yourself in a place to teach somebody something. And then if you get to that place, then it says a revelation. Amen? See, some people want to come in here and they want to jump all the way to the revelation part, but they don't ever give any praise to God. They stand when they come in this place and drink their coffee while the music's playing. And I'm not jumping on anybody, but it happens. And then they want to meet us at the door and say they have a revelation about something. (laughs) Right? Come on in here with your praise. Start right there. Amen? Because revelation knowledge will come as you put yourself in a position to receive. How do you do that? Well, according to this, everyone has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, and then, and then you can jump on into the big stuff. Tongues interpretation. Amen? Now, everybody ought to be speaking in tongues. I I mean, that hymn can include some singing in tongues. (laughs) Yeah. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The difference between the Old Testament and now was the Holy Spirit being available to each person. If a priest or prophet in the Old Testament had gotten up and said, hey, I've got this new revelation that uh, the Gentiles are going to come on in here and join us, the people would not have been able to... It just wouldn't have lit up in their spirit because there was no Holy Spirit to teach them that that was God's plan. I mean, there was a Holy Spirit, don't get me wrong, but He wasn't living on the inside of them. He wasn't, he wasn't poured out on them yet. So they would have thought that was a very strange concept. How many of you know God's timing is perfect? Amen. Verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Now, He just told you what the mystery is. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. It just can't get much more plain than that. That's the mystery that's been revealed. That we are all now believers, Christians, not Jewish Gentiles or Gentile Jews or whatever. No longer separated by anything. 
Remember that wall in the temple that kept the Gentiles out of the other part? Gone. Amen? That is the mystery that's been revealed. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of His power. Amen. Paul didn't just get up one day and say, you know what? That Peter, he's got a pretty good job. I think I'm going to be a prophet of God. I mean, it looks like it pays pretty good. He didn't just get up one day and decide to be Paul, who we know Paul today. Right? Like some people do. Get a business card and put prophetess something in front of their name, and now... No. He did not just get up one day and decide to be a prophet or an apostle. Apostle. He, he didn't just make up... He, he was not self-appointed, in other words. Ministry is never self-appointed, five-fold ministry. Right? The same way we don't choose which ministry gifts we operate in. We can desire them. We can learn about them. We can put ourselves in position to be used, but the Holy Spirit directs them as He wills. Amen? We don't just come in and say, Today I am going to minister a word of knowledge to someone. Let me look around. Does not work that way. As the Spirit wills. Amen? We don't choose to do things like that. And so, Paul is saying, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me. The working of His power. Alright? He was called to this ministry. He was anointed and appointed by God. Amen? Once we receive God's call and anointing for service like that, there are some things that we must do, but we don't do the calling of ourselves. Amen? I wrote this down. A minister must labor to show ourselves faithful to the calling. A minister must labor against our flesh so the gifts can flow unhindered. So as a minister, you got some work to do. There's some labor to be done. you got to show yourself faithful. Pastor Allen has to show himself faithful to the call of pastor. He can't just say, I'm a pastor, and then... Um, you know, lay that down Monday through Friday, and uh, I'll pick that back up on Saturday. He has to show himself faithful to that calling. And a minister must labor against the flesh so that they can minister unhindered by carnal thinking, by, by the flesh. Amen? Hallelujah.
And that's what Paul did. Verse 8, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the first part. Paul saw something in himself that a lot of us fail to see. And that is humility, right? He saw humility. He was humble in himself. When he said, you know, I... Let's see what it says. I am less than the least of all of God's people. He, he wasn't... That wasn't some false humility. He really meant it. He really meant that. Amen? That's good. What do you think causes a person to be so humble? What is it that causes a person to recognize that they are the least of the least of God's people without being like, oh, I'm just, pay me no attention because I'm just the least. I mean, there's a false humility right there that would bring attention to yourself in a prideful way. Did you know pride can operate that way? Pride can operate in a way, if I told Kaylee that she was a good singer, and she said, no, you know, I'm just not really that great. Thank you, though, but that's, that's reverse pride, or pride in the backward sense, right? Yeah. So... For Paul to recognize that he's the least of the least, he's measuring himself up, not against the people that he's saying he's the least of the least of. He's measuring himself up to Jesus himself. And when we measure ourselves up to Jesus himself, we recognize how least of the least we really are. I don't care... How big your TV ministry is, how well known you are, how many, you know, countries you have been to and spoken to half a million people in a crowd. When you measure yourself up against Jesus, if you are being humble, you recognize that you are just the least of the least. That's what Paul was doing. Amen? Verse 9. Y'all good? And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Just kind of repeating what we've already said, right? But he's saying in verse 8 and verse 9, that Paul was graced for these things, to preach preach Jesus to the Gentiles and to dispense this mystery. This was the grace that was on Paul. Amen? Verse 10. 
His intent was that now, everybody say now. Now is a big word. Remember last week we talked about but now? There's some things that's happened in the past, but now. Okay? So it says his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. Amen. So, now, 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 this moment when Paul received this revelation and he began to administer that to the people is the now. Was the now just for that day or was it continued on? It continues, right? N today is now. Yesterday was now and tomorrow will be now. Amen? So this is now our job. It says through the church. Look how it says. His intent was that now through the church. Are we the church? So it is now our job. Paul's not here anymore. It's now our job to give this revelation of the gospel to the lost. Amen? It's now our job. And these rulers and authorities that this talks about, some versions say principalities and powers. Is that what yours says? That's the demonic realm. Right? And that word manifold, it means many or varied. I saw an explanation of it one time. It means multicolored. Manifold. Having, having many features and forms. That word manifold. So God's wisdom is multi-layered and convoluted and multicolored. It's talking about his wisdom. And we, the church, that's us, right? We are to instruct the demonic realm about the many features and forms of God's wisdom. This is what this verse says. It is now our job to instruct, you know, we're the church, we are to tell the realm of the authorities of the heavens, not heaven, right? It's talking about this earth. Amen? Our job is to instruct the demonic realm about God's wisdom. No. It's talking about the realm, the spiritual realm of, of, this, of this earth. You got it? Exactly. He's saying, go ahead and tell the devil how smart God is and how dumb he is. You're not teaching them anything. You're not teaching them anything. You're, you're basically rubbing their nose in it. You are putting the devil in his place. 
when you remind him of God's wisdom, how smart God is, how all-knowing he is, how all-powerful he is, and how not the devil is. Right? Jesus won, sucker. You know? That's what you're saying. When we walk in power, when we walk in authority, when we walk in victory, we show Satan and his demons how stupid and weak they are. When we walk in victory... It is, we are, we are rubbing their nose in it. We're showing, when we raise our Bible up and shake it in the devil's face, what are we doing? Right? We ought not be fearful of the devil. Paul's telling us it's our job. It's our job. Let's read that verse 10 one more time. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. Amen? Hallelujah. And then verse 11. According to His eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, that's a tag on to verse 10. It's one whole sentence. And it's saying that God didn't just come up with a plan B after Adam sinned. It's an eternal thing. The purposes of God are eternal. They were there from the start. They'll be there all the way. Right? So there's no... There's no uh, uh uh-oh in God. Oh, man, I wrote down several verses. I'll have to just give them to you. Y'all take some time. Look up Revelation 13.8. Titus 1.2. 1 Peter 1.20. And 1 Corinthians 2.7. Take some time and look those up. There was no plan B. God's plan is eternal. Amen? Verse 11. Verse 12, In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Even if I had to approach God from a place of begging and groveling, I would still do it. But thank God that's not how we have to approach Him. Amen? What a great plan he came up with that we can approach God boldly and confidently. In him is because Jesus lives in me. Through faith in him, Jesus even gives us the faith. Did you know Jesus gives you the faith that you have? Amen. So we are in Christ, and then it says through faith in Him. But where did the faith come from? He gave us the faith to believe in Him. Amen? 
Now we get to exercise it, but He gave it to us. Amen. Verse 13. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So Paul being in prison was of no concern. No concern when he compared it to the privilege of standing in that bold and confident place before God. He didn't care if he was in prison. Light momentary affliction. Light, that's right, a light and momentary affliction. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure he was saying that about his whole life. My whole life's just been this light, momentary affliction. Because he knew that he could approach God boldly and confidently and stand in His presence. Amen? And he's actually saying to them right here, in this letter that he's writing, he's saying, don't fret about me being in prison. I'm not fretting. It's basically what he's saying. Don't, don't, don't fret over me being in prison. I'm not fretting about it. Right? Hallelujah. Now verses 14 through 19, this is our second prayer in Ephesians. What a prayer. And verse 14 through 19 is actually one complete sentence. It's a whole sentence. And so as Paul's first prayer was about uh, opening the eyes of our heart to be enlightened, to know what belongs to me and know who I am in Christ, this prayer can be summarized like this, if you want to write it down. Just a summary of this prayer. This is a prayer for spiritual strength and fullness. A prayer for spiritual strength and fullness. So first you want to pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you can have revelation knowledge. And then this prayer for spiritual strength and fullness. Now let's talk about what that means. Verse 14 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Let's just stop right there. I love the word kneel in that verse. I think we have forgotten how to kneel before God. See, when I was a kid, there was an altar. And you know, I mean, I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but people would come and they would kneel. And this verse says that Paul kneeled. How many, when was the last time you got on your knees? I mean, I'm not trying to be like it's a ritual or something, but there's a stance that you take when you kneel. You put yourself in a position when you kneel before God. Amen? When's the last time you kneeled in prayer? Because he's about to pray. Right? For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Verse 15, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. This is the only verse in the, Old, in the New Testament that refers to the corporate group of saints as family. We talk about our church family all the time. The people we get together with. Did you know your family is much more than just Compass Church? 
Actually, your family's much more than just Christians who are living on this earth. When he said family, he said in heaven and on earth. Every saint that has ever been is part of your family. Amen. That's a big family. And we got to get it growing more and more every day. Amen. Some other terms, this verse uses family. Some other terms is brothers and sisters. You'll see um, the body of Christ is talking about the family uh, and the holy temple of God. If you ever see that term, the holy temple of God is talking about the saints, the family of God. Amen? Verse 16. I pray, well, here we go that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. What does your your version say for inner being right there? Inner man? Anything else? So the inner being right there. Sometimes called the heart. Some places it's called the soul. Okay? Now, your spirit is already complete in Christ. We talked about that, right? Your spirit, man, is fully complete. And Paul was praying that this strength would manifest in your character as well. So what's in your spirit, Paul's praying that it would manifest also in your actions. He's getting ready for verse 4. Uh, chapter 4, where he's going to tell us how we're supposed to act. Right? Your innermost being and personality. Okay? So that version says your innermost being and personality. So, if we are influenced by the power that's in our spirit, in our inner man, right? Then it'll change, it'll, it'll affect not only the way we think, but the way we act. And that's what he's preparing. He's praying for this ahead of time because he's getting ready to tell us how we're supposed to act. And so he's praying... Let that power that's already in you, in your spirit man, manifest itself in your inner being, your soul, your whole self. To affect your thinking and your doing. That's what he's praying. He's getting us ready for something. You know that's what prayer is for, right? To do something, to prepare something, to lay the tracks for something, to get ready for something, to affect The spirit realm. Hallelujah. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. And let's just stop right there. Because there's verse 18 right there. Verse 17. So Romans 8 9 says that Christ dwells in us at the moment of salvation. Is that correct? 
if we were to turn over there and read it. Christ dwells in us at the moment of salvation. So why here would Paul pray for Christ to dwell in your heart? I mean, if, if Christ already dwells in us at the moment of salvation, why did he feel the need to pray for Christ to dwell in your heart? You've got you to pay attention to the words. Yes. Okay? So that word heart, you've got to pay attention to what the word heart means in the Greek. This is why you need a good, uh, you know, blue letter Bible app is a great thing to use because it has that inter, uh, interlinear little tab and you can go see what the Greek word is and all that. You can, you can that would be helpful right here because this word heart, sometimes in Scripture when you see the word heart, or soul, it means something different than what we have been conditioned to think. Okay? So sometimes it's referring to the spirit of man when, it's, when it uses the word pneuma. That's the spirit man. It's the Holy Spirit when it has the word holy in front of pneuma. Okay? That's the spirit man. But when it uses the word Cardia, that is talking about the spirit and the soul as like one entity. If you ever read a verse and it says, you know, believe with all of your soul or do something with all of your soul, most people go to, well, the soul means my mind and my will and my emotions, and that's true. But the Greek or the Hebrew word for that word that translated soul really means your inner man, which is your the whole the whole thing altogether, the core of the human man, right? Which includes your mind and your spirit. Y'all understand, when you die, your flesh gets put in the ground. And your spirit doesn't get put in the dirt comes is separated from your flesh. But your mind is still intact too, right? Your mind doesn't go into the grave. Your mind is part of your inner man. But your mind is influenced by your flesh because we live in this flesh. And so there's this constant battle, pulling, one way and the other, your spirit man is always speaking to you. Did you know when you sin that condemnation is not coming from the Holy Spirit because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So where does the condemnation come from? Comes from it comes from your own spirit. Your own spirit will condemn you from doing something you shouldn't do. The Holy Spirit will warn you, but if you do something, your spirit says, man, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Right? So how do you keep from doing something like that? You have to renew your mind. You've got to renew your thinking. I, I, I kind of demonstrated it once before. 
Right here in the middle is, is your soul. The thinking part of you. The will and the emotion. And over on this side is your flesh. Pulling on your thinking. Come on over here and, and uh, there's some fun, good, feel good stuff over here. And over on this side is your spirit man going, we're aligning ourselves with the Spirit of God. We've been made new. Okay? And you get to decide in every moment which way your thinking and your doing is going to go. And this is what Paul's giving some instruction. Now he's praying this out because here comes some instruction about how we're supposed to act. All right? And so to not respond to the flesh means that we must respond to the Spirit. Okay? Amen? Hallelujah. All right. Let's finish up real quick. Renew your mind. Verse 18 that you may have power together with all of the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. In verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Love is not one-dimensional. This verse is telling us that. I kind of got a picture of it like this. If you walk up to a painting, let's just say of a barn, you know, a pretty Amish barn, big, beautiful, you walk up to a painting and you, you get right up to it, but it's still flat. You can't get in it. You can't see the dynamic of it. It's just one-dimensional, right? It's flat. A painting. But if you go to an Amish barn, right? You can go in it. You can experience it. It can surround you. You can feel it and hear it and smell it and, and touch it. And that's how God's love is. A lot of people see... God is love, God is love. And they sing these little baby songs. And they're seeing God's love in one dimension. And, and Paul says right here, God's love has width and length and height and depth. It's multidimensional. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen. And so next week, um, I have asked Kaylee to give us a little bit more. Uh, we're going to skip one week of Ephesians, and Kaylee's going to uh, fill us in on the love of God. Is that right, Kaylee? Yes. So she's been really kind of studying this for a little bit, and I'm going to give her an opportunity to share with us uh, about God's love. Because if we don't ever 
understand the dimension of his love and that everything is responsive to his love and everything that we do and every everything is because of his love and through his love and is connected to his love everything love is the key because god is love amen god is love I'm just going to summarize real quick here before we go um, the prayer in verse 14 through 19 real quick. There was four points to this prayer. I want you guys, if you want to write them down, make sure you have a clear understanding of this prayer. Number one, he prayed that they would be granted spiritual strength by God's Spirit. So he prayed for spiritual strength. Number two, that Christ might make His home in their hearts by faith. Remember that word heart means not just in your spirit. It means that Christ would saturate your very being and affect everything that you think and say and do. That was what that prayer meant. Number three, that through being rooted and grounded in love that they would comprehend or receive revelation knowledge. Because of love, you receive revelation knowledge. Because of His love, you can come in here, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction. You don't have that without God's love. His multidimensional love. Amen? And number four, He prayed that by the by experiencing Christ's love, they would be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you know how you know if you're filled with the fullness of God? Every response, everything you say and do is from a place of love. That's how you know. I want to be walking in the fullness of God. Amen? Hallelujah. And then verse 20 and 21 is just a hallelujah. It's just a uh, thank you, Lord. It says, according to His power that is at work within us. And so make sure you know that His power is working in you. Amen? Amen.